Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Abortion is dominating headlines as the United States Supreme Court considers a decision that could lead to it being outlawed in many states. While the political debate is framed as being either pro-life or pro-choice, the Islamic perspective is not so simple. Is abortion halal or is it haram? And are there any exceptions? What principles do Muslim scholars use to determine their understanding? And how should we be thinking about this issue on an individual and a political level? Welcome to a new episode of Double Take, a podcast by Yaqeen Institute about the questions and ideas around Islam and Muslims that give us pause. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. If you like what you hear or want to share feedback, you can do so directly by letting us know through the link in the show notes. Today, I had an open discussion with Dr. Amr Suleiman and Sister Hana Hassan about the Islamic perspective on abortion in light of everything that is going on. Dr. Amr is the founder and president of Yaqeen Institute and the author of the paper, Islam and the Abortion Debate. He's back on Double Take for the first time since season one. Sister Hana is a fellow at Yaqeen, a researcher in international development and the founder of Karawiyin Project, an initiative dedicated to reviving Islamic discourse amongst Muslim women. Enjoy the episode. Dr. Omar, Sister Hana, Assalamu Alaikum and welcome to Double Take. Dr. Omar, you wrote an article in March 2017 about Islam and the abortion debate. In this episode, I want to cover uh, how Islam views the issue of abortion. And then I'd like some guidance on how to approach the matter politically. Uh, I know this is a very big question, but to start out, abortion, is it halal or is it haram? So, alhamdulillah, so to, to ask a question, uh, is it halal or is it haram? Uh, obviously, I'd say that you have in our religion multiple categories of halal and haram and what is in between. But certainly, uh, you would start from the position of prohibition and then you have cases in which it becomes uh, acceptable um, under those circumstances. And so you start from the you start from the position that it is prohibited and then you have exceptions and circumstances in Islam um, that would permit it. And then you also have some situations in which it would be makruh, in which it would be disliked. Uh, so you start from the position of it being haram, that obviously in Islam, it's not a desirable thing. And when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates something, you want to maintain the rights of all of those creations in a way uh, in which you don't infringe on the other. But then Islam is also a very practical religion, right? So there are situations and circumstances that arise in which uh, abortion would be allowed under that necessity. Sure. So the default position is that it is haram. And I guess it comes back to the sanctity of life in Islam and protecting life. Yeah, the default position is definitely tahrim, okay, is, is prohibition. Sure. And I, I, I want to emphasize to the audience here that, you know, uh, please read the article because obviously in a podcast, we're not going to have enough time to get through everything. But inshallah, I will actually add some elements that were not present in the article at the time. Obviously, things have, um, you know, become even much more heated around this debate uh, these days. But you know, when we talk about the position of Islam, we start with the position of prohibition, and then you have these various circumstances that arise at various stages of the pregnancy. And so an easy way to think about this is that the later in the pregnancy, the more strict the conditions that would allow it uh, become with a default or unanimous prohibition after 120 days in Islam, uh, except in the case of saving the life of the mother. Okay, so anything after 120 days becomes absolutely prohibited except in the case of saving the mother's life in accordance with all of the schools of thought. And then uh, before 120 days, you have certain situations and circumstances, and there is difference of opinion as to which of those circumstances uh, would allow for an abortion and at what uh, point a person should take that decision. Um, do you mind talking through some of those legitimate reasons? So you're saying after 120 days, the only reason is to protect the mother's life. But before that, do you mind just talking through the nuance? Sure. So, um, you know, I think that it's important for people to sort of understand there is a difference of opinion between the 40, and, and you'll see this in some of the articles. And I will say that I encourage Muslims to read some of the breadth of Islamic scholarship, both classical and contemporary, uh, 
one of the best articles that I've seen written on the subject is actually written by a dear friend, Dr. Salman Yunus, who wrote an article for Muslim Matter on narrow conceptualizations of abortion. And he talks through some of the, the fiqhi details um, and touches on some things that even I did not get to touch on in my article. But, you know, uh, Sheikh Mohammed al-Shinawi uh, had advised when, when we were writing this article to look at it backwards, to start from the, the place of after 120 days and then work backwards to the beginning, right? So after 120 days, absolute prohibition, except to save the mother's life, which is in contradiction of, for example, the Catholic teaching on abortion and the Catholic teaching of abortion, which is often cited as the main theological, um, you know, uh, background for uh, the current pro-life position, the potential life is given priority over the stable life, which is the life of the mother. In the Islamic conception, the stable life is always given uh, precedence over the potential life, being the life of the fetus. Now, before before 120 days, from 40 days to 120 days, um, serious medical issues, um, some sort of deformity, to the fetus or something that is potentially harmful to the mother's life, or in the case of, of rape or incest or some of these truly dire situations, then according to uh, multiple scholars within the uh, four schools of Sunni thought, there would be room for abortion to be considered. Prior to 40 days, it becomes uh, more lenient, except in the Maliki position, which is, which is historically the strictest position on abortion. Uh, you can find that the scholars allow in, in, uh, you know, in our tradition that there are multiple scholars that allowed for abortions to take place for reasons um, that are of uh, a less restrictive nature than that between the 40 and the 120 days. The debate becomes both you know, an analysis of what circumstances constitute a dire need and also at what point does life enter into the womb. And so we start off with saying, well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, anything that he's created has rights and it is sanctified in being a creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. However, when the ruh comes in, when life is conceived, then it takes on another level of sanctity, obviously, right? And is that at 40 days, uh, Dr. Amr? So according to the, the majority of scholars, and some even claim to consensus in the past, it's 120 days. There's a hadith of the Prophet okay. about, the, uh, about the angel blowing the life into the womb at 120 days. There's another narration which seems to con contradict that, which says 40 days. That's a minority opinion uh, within Islamic thought. And, you know, it, you can argue both ways. You can argue both ways. And it's actually a very interesting debate. I don't want to get too far into the technicalities sure. of it. Uh, Dr. Hatim al-Hajj, our, our Sheikh Dr. Hatim al-Hajj has gone into great depth with this debate. You can look up his works on abortion as well. Um, and he's someone that I consider a reference point on this and, and that I went to with, with my own article uh, in this regard. Um, you have to look at the ahadith themselves and then you look at the body of opinions and then you look at what was built upon those opinions. So many people look at modern science, for example, and they look at the uh, embryogenesis and the development of the fetus at 40 days and find it to be a more plausible uh, you know, point at which life comes into the womb. And so we'll go back to that position of 40 days and prefer it on that basis or partly due to that, which is an argument that can be made. Uh, the complication with that on the 120 days is that there's a lot that's actually built on the 120 days within the madahib. Uh, so, for example, you know, the idda. I, I think that a lot of people, for example, would, would wonder, uh, and, and I often read about grief and things of that sort and some of the laws surrounding death, and especially uh, in, in light of the current pandemic, you know, the, the multiple losses we've had in our community. The idda of the widow. Why is it four months and 10 mm. days? Uh, if you go back to the Salaf, Sa'id ibn Musayyib, uh, Rahimullah, and others, they spoke about it. They said, well, that's because of this concept of making sure that the womb does not have life. And so four months comes from that place. And then the 10 days is just to be uh, certain in that regard, because we know the gestational age is different from when a person finds out that they're pregnant, right? Which is a, which is a whole nother layer of this. So you've got that, right? The ahkam of the idda, you've got the ahkam of the janazah of the fetus, right? When do you pray janazah on the child or, or on the fetus in the case of a miscarriage, right? So there's a lot that's been built in the tradition on this 120 day point. Uh, as I said, there are uh, scholars on both sides of this issue. 
Uh, I personally uh, take the position of the 120 days. It's the position of my teachers. It's the position of the majority of scholars. And I sorry, think that sorry, Doctor, just to be clear, when you say there's different positions, it's it's about the 40 days or the 120 days, right? Correct. That's kind of so, a, yeah. Okay. So there are scholars that would argue the 40 day uh, that that life is at 40 days, which uh, which would correspond to the gestational age of 52 days, and there is 120 days. Uh, I take the position of 120 days as that's the position of my teachers, and that is a position that I find very compelling. And I think that it's it's important for us to understand that, um, you know, just like when you're looking at the end of life, uh, reflexive movements of the body and at what point life escapes the body is a very complicated matter. And you cannot simply assign the departure of the ruh to a certain element of death. There is so much that goes into determining whether or not to the best of our read, life has left the body. And so in the womb, reflexive movements versus um, cognitive movements. At what point the, the, the child, the fetus in the womb is able to determine uh, or is able to control some of their own movements. There is voluntary movement of the limbs. Uh, those are things to be taken into consideration. And it, it doesn't seem to be enough, and Allah knows best, to negate the 120-day position, which is the majority position, uh, because of what we see today with our ultrasounds and what we see of movements and the feeling of movements in the womb. While still saying, while still saying that the ideal outcome and circumstance is that you preserve the life of the mother and you preserve the life of the fetus. This does not sure. discard the fetus or just turn it into uh, a lump of flesh that has no meaning and no value. But that's just to say that the entrance of the ruh makes it a far more grave matter. And the majority of the scholars certainly did view that at 120 days with with love and respect and and reverence to those scholars that view it at 40 days based on other uh forms of evidence khair. i'm gonna i'm gonna have a go at summarizing that um for the simple muslim like myself so what i'm hearing is that the default position of islam is that it's prohibited um and the aim of islam is to protect the sanctity of life that makes sense and i've heard that throughout my whole life there are exceptions to the rule and we're saying there are two kind of yardsticks, one at 40 days, one at 120 days. Some scholars say at 120 days, that's kind of where the, the serious restrictions happen. After 120, the only reason that you could have an abortion, correct me if I'm wrong, is to protect the life of the mother. And we'll, we'll go kind of deeper into that. Prior to that, between the 40 days and the 120 days, because that's when the, the ruh, the soul, is injected into the body. Um, we're saying it has to be a dire need. Things like rape, incest, you know, to protect the mother's life, etc. Um, a serious medical well, I, deformity. I'd want to clarify the yeah. etc. to not leave it open. Please. If, the, Please. if yeah. the if the child, if it's deemed based upon based upon what the doctor can read and what is what is being looked into, if the child is not going to be able to live. Uh, a life um, without being severely limited, restricted, right? In a way that they would not be able to live, uh, you know, a, a, a normal life, as close to a normal life as possible. Um, and the parents as well uh, would not be severely uh, burdened by that at that point. So it's not just et cetera, et cetera, right? There's like, there's a severe uh, deformity. There's a severe medical issue to where that child uh, would not be able to live a uh, quality life, and that's being uh, determined with with near conclusiveness. Then, at that point, um, yes, that's also something that would be allowed. I mean, there are many questions I, I'd love to ask. Like, what if they find out about that medical deformity, say, 150 days? Um, but I don't know if we're going to have all that time here. Feel free to to answer if you feel it's important. But I. Um, just to go back to if you yeah. open that can of worms, and I don't want to take from Sister Hanat's time because we got we got to hear her inshallah ta'ala. But okay, so look, I think yeah. it's important to, to to bring into this that we are a spiritually driven people, and we are driven, you know, towards and by a greater understanding of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala's qada and qadr that allows us to. Uh, you know, uh, to find comfort and calm in certain realities, that if certain things become known to us later on, if we are tested in certain ways later on, 
that there's a greater purpose and wisdom that, it, that, that is to exist. That does not mean that the trial is not going to be difficult. But SubhanAllah, I will say this, you know, having been through that, that process of consulting uh, or being consulted by various parents um, in that situation, that oftentimes, you know, they look back, you know, and this is the benefit of, of being able to be someone's imam for five, 10 years. And they say, Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Ameen, Allah Azawajal facilitated this for us. The doctor was actually wrong. Uh, our child lives a relatively normal life. This is our favorite child. This child, even if the child does have severe medical issues, has brought us so much barakah in our lives, brought us closer to Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala, brought us closer as a family, that we have to understand that sometimes we cannot see what Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala has determined for us ahead. And that's why for, for the believer, right? The believer, yes, will be disappointed at times, struck with hardship at times. And we'll, we'll look at that and say, you know, subhanAllah, if we would have, you know, if we would have done an ultrasound two weeks ago or three weeks ago or four weeks ago, and what did the Prophet say? Don't say the word if, don't say the word if, because it opens the doors of shaitan. Instead, you know, embrace the trial that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has determined for you and turn it into a blessing because any trial that brings you closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is indeed a blessing. And so at that point, you know, uh, if it if it if it happens after that time after that that yardstick if you will um that something is determined you you know you have to lean on your spiritual teachings you have to lean on your iman you have to go back and lean on that faith and on that uh you know on that that environment that you create inshallah ta'ala that pushes you towards this idea of accepting and embracing the you know the, the qadr of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as it is and making the best of that situation in a way that brings you closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But I've seen that play out multiple times where people look back and say, you know what? Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. Alhamdulillah, we didn't make that decision. It may have been that if it showed up earlier, we would have gone for an abortion. But because, you know, it didn't show up earlier and we didn't even have that option available to us, this became our most beloved child and the greatest blessing uh, in our lives. SubhanAllah. Um, and just one last thing before we move on, uh, the 40-day the mark. Uh, you mentioned that prior to the 40 days, there's a bit more leniency. Do you mind just talking to that before uh, before we move on? Sure. So look, obviously there is difference again between the madahib and I am purposely speaking at this, you know, about this at, at sort of a surface level right now, right? There are more details in the article. And as I said, I'd recommend uh, Dr. Salman Yunus's article as well as uh, Dr. Hatim al-Hajj, as well as, by the way, uh, Sheikh Hamza Yusuf, who strongly disagrees with some of the things that I've said. Uh, here, it's good to get that breadth and to understand some of the fiqhi departures uh, in this regard and the difference between the madahib, with all of us agreeing, right, at the at the certain fundamentals or about the certain fundamentals here. Um, within 40 days, you had some, some madahib that were extremely lenient, right? And even within the same school of thought, um, that school of thought may have been classically much more lenient and then become a little bit stricter as time went on. Uh, Dr. Hatim would say, and, and it's it's a very it's it's a very interesting point. He'd say, Subhanallah, this is one of those issues where you see that it became stricter in the contemporary times in the fiqhi sense uh, than it was in the classical sense. That classical scholars were a bit more lenient, and it could be obviously, you know, you think about the the rise of ultrasounds and our ability to be able to see, you know, having been in the room, right? You see this child on the screen, you mm. see. You see something of life. There's a greater connection to it. The the biology, the science that gives us that greater connection. However, I think to summarize it within 40 days, obviously anything that would qualify between 40 and 120 naturally qualifies before 40. And some of the 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 the, uh, the scholars allowed um, at that point, um, you know, if, if if it's going to pose severe. Uh, challenges uh, based upon lifestyle, if there is a mental or physical burden, if the, the woman does not feel like she's going to be able to go forth uh, with this uh, due to something that is is rational, objective, um, then there is there's allowance there. However, um, outside of the space of medical challenges, I want to make this very clear as well, medical challenges either to the fetus or to the mother's life, uh, there's always the encouragement the encouragement from a spiritual perspective uh, to, to continue forward with it and to move forward with it. So even where those allowances exist, uh, they're certainly not the encouraged uh, pathways, but 
where there may be some lenience based upon the circumstances of the the mother and the father, but where there is, uh, you know, not a severe medical challenge, uh, it is encouraged for the parents to continue forth uh, with the pregnancy. And again, you don't know what enormous possibilities also exist in terms of barakah in your life. You know, subhanAllah, I work with muhsin. Uh, before yaqeen, there was muhsin in my life, which was Muslims understanding and helping with special education needs. Um, I can tell you, working with parents with special needs children all the time, uh, the, the blessing that those parents will attribute to that child is severe. Yes, they'll talk about challenges being severe, but they'll talk about how great the blessing in, is as well that has come uh, from um, th those children of special needs, children of Jannah, right? So it's encouraged for us to constantly go back to what we know from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's uh, decree being wiser and more expansive than anything that we can understand with our time limitations, with our thought limitations, and so much more. And so the encouragement is definitely to go forward with the Ta'ala and to, uh, to you know, to, to seek the, the best environment and the best ways to be able to properly care for uh, that child and, and nurture uh, that child and, and provide for the best upbringing for that child. Barakallah Fiqh. Sister uh, Hana, I, um, I'm just thinking of the thousands of women who have to make this decision, you know, whether or not to continue with a pregnancy or not. And if we're hearing that in Islam, the sanctity of life is so important, we need to protect life, we need to honor it. Um, to make a decision to, to have an abortion, it is a massive burden. It's a big decision. Um, and so my question to you is, how do, we, how do we even make a decision? You know, how do we consult medical professionals uh, religious professionals or, or, or um, religious leaders. What's your advice just on that point? Like it's a big decision. Absolutely. I think um, Sheikh Omar has elucidated on all of the various factors that need to be considered when a couple or when a Muslim woman is deciding to opt for an abortion. And it's because of all of these nuances, because of all of these details, it's not a decision that can be taken hastily and it's not a decision that can be taken in isolation. So seeking that consultation, both, as you've just said, medical and scholarly is an absolute must. And it's it, it's a shame because I think that abortion specific resources for the Muslim community are something that is perhaps lacking. Uh, I haven't come across many dedicated organizations or initiatives that strive to really embody the Islamic perspective on this issue and provide advice to people in this situation. But ultimately, Muslim women uh, and couples who are trying to figure out what they should do in this situation can and first should reach out to local scholars, perhaps especially female scholars, who they feel will understand the nuances of the situation uh, and, and their feelings about it in more detail. In the absence of that, Local Muslim counsellors perhaps may be able to offer some advice. Alhamdulillah, we have many Muslims entering that profession now with the specific intention of being able to provide those resources for the Muslim community. So inshallah, perhaps in the future, this is something that we'll see growth in. Um, but at the same time, I think that this shows that there is a communal responsibility as well, that when we discuss these issues, we don't just kind of leave it at go and ask a scholar go and ask a medical professional who is aware of these Islamic nuances. We need to make sure that those resources are actually being provided for the Muslim community. And we need to get creative about how we could actually take action to, uh, to, to make sure they have those pathways to seek help. We need to think about how perhaps doctors can be affiliated to various masajid so that they can be directed to the people who are in need of their advice. We need to think about how we can provide female scholars or, or, or chaplains to our communities so that they can provide them with the support that is necessary for them in making this really, really big decision. And, you know, oftentimes we actually have those resources in our community. It's just about connecting them to the people who need them. Sister Hannah, Jazakallah Khair. And I wanted to follow up by asking about what, what you would suggest that Muslim couples or, you know, a, a female consider while they're making this decision. What is the process? So I think as Sheikh Omar has explained, you know, there needs to be 
an understanding on the part of the of, of the woman in question or, or of the couple as to why they are considering an abortion in the first place. Is it some of these reasons that are dire necessities? If so, then the situation is difficult and can still be extremely painful, but it's an obvious decision. It's when that there's that you enter into the gray area of reasons that could possibly be legitimate, but at the same time, we have this encouragement, as Sheikh Omar said, to actually continue with the pregnancy, that people should be trying to look around them for people who, who can support them, for those with knowledge of their particular situation and of the ahkam of the Islamic laws regarding this, that they can seek advice from and, and, and understand what would be the best action for their particular situation. But I would say on top of all of that as well, like that's the practical side, but definitely as with everything that we do in this life, we can't get through any situation without making dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and really increasing our tawakkul that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will provide us with the answer for this particularly difficult situation. He will provide us with the resources that we need and with people who will be able to advise us to make that best decision. So as there's kind of like a two-pronged element, I, I, I guess, where you have the actions that you need to do, but that spiritual work always needs to continue, especially in the face of making a really difficult decision like that. Yeah, I'll, I'll just add to that. Um, you know, having been in, in many situations where I had to be consulted in that, being the imam of my community in New Orleans for six years, and obviously being in a, in a more developed community here in Dallas, alhamdulillah, where we have multiple resources, where I, I don't have to be that person that's working with doctors and couples. But a lot of times um, it's important for you to go to someone who has that ilmi background, who has that knowledge background, a scholarly background, and put them in consultation with who's aware of the medical situation. And I know that that sounds very hard and difficult. And, and it is, honestly, it, it's one of those situations where you don't have a perfect answer when you're getting into the gray area. And it's one of those situations where we have a lot to develop as a community in terms of offering mm -hmm. the type of support. And I, I applaud efforts by um, scholars and, um, you know, and, and practitioners who come together and who author, um, you know, fatawa that are informed by what is coming from the medical side of things and, and you know, uh, seek to offer that resource to the community. And alhamdulillah, I think that that's something that we'll continue to see inshallah ta'ala. You know, there aren't many Dr. Hatsum and Hajjahs in the world that are, um, you know, <laughs> medical doctors as well as uh, scholars of the tradition. They're very few and far in between. But at the same time, there are, alhamdulillah, I mean, more and more situations now where you have uh, scholars that are working together with different disciplines that are authoring just just more comprehensive fatawa. On the individual level, don't go to Google uh, until you find the fatwa that you want. Certainly don't ask people on Twitter whether, whether you should get an abortion or not. And don't tell someone on Twitter that they should should or should not, right? Just kind of stay away from, you know, these, these arenas when it comes to making such an important decision in your life. And, um, you know, just like with everything else, if, if there are local resources that are strong enough, that are personal enough, that uh, that, that you feel comfortable you can sit with and really talk through that situation, then do so. And inshallah, I hope as a community we'll continue to develop that infrastructure. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help anyone that is in that situation. I, I can tell, uh, you know, one of the things that's, that's uh, very different about the pastoral and the political is that the political is so dry and often speaks about these issues in, 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 with, with such confidence and, and this, this uh, this dryness that really takes away from what those who work on the pastoral side see. I've never seen anyone make this decision with ease in my entire life. It's not an easy decision. It's a very difficult decision. And I've found many, subhanAllah, that lean on, uh, like the story of Maryam alayhi salam, you know, w when she felt what she felt and uh, look at the blessing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave to her uh, through carrying Isa alayhi salam. And obviously she would not have known that in the moment, but this is sort of what we lean upon, right? The same way we go to the story of Yusuf alayhi salam and the story of Ibrahim alayhi salam, right? There's a very unique, uh, I think, uh, point of comfort that I've found uh, that, that many sisters have been able to draw from, uh, the story of Maryam alayhi salam. And if I could get very personal for a moment. Um, Please. I was, not, I was not planning to share this uh, at all, but I, I I gave a lecture about my own mother, Allah Yerhamha, uh, a long time ago. Um, when my mother was pregnant with me, first of all, she, she was told that she would never be able to be pregnant again because she had multiple medical issues. 
she had blood transfusion after blood transfusion after blood transfusion when she was carrying me. And, you know, I go back now and I have those conversations with my father and it was like, you know, there were multiple times where it was like we were going to call it quits. And I understood what that meant. SubhanAllah. So I'm even looking at my own existence, right? And I'm saying, SubhanAllah, the tawakkul that my own mother had, Allah yarhamha, when she was uh, when she was carrying me, when she was told she'd never be able to conceive again, by the way. And I mentioned this and you can look up that lecture, which I had to rehearse like a uh, hundred times before I gave it about her life. Um, you know, at Ikna, I want to say 10 years ago. Uh, SubhanAllah, she, uh, you know, it, it's really stunning, but uh, when, when, she was told she'd never be able to have a child. She laughed in the doctor's face and said, you're not God. Those, those were her words, you're not God. And SubhanAllah, like, like when I think about that, you know, that word of tawakkul that she had, obviously that's something that both men and women can draw from uh, for themselves. And I think some of the current um, examples of inspiration that we can find of tawakkul, I always look for them and I tell people, there are awliya in our ummah today. There are awliya, there are salihin in our ummah today. Uh, that we can draw a lot of inspiration from. Um, we don't just we don't just have to relegate ourselves to the text. Oliya, righteous people amongst us that have been through enormous challenges and have shown us the blessings that have come through those challenges. Shazakallah khair, um, Sheikh Omar, for sharing that. To be honest, uh, you gave me a bit of uh, shivers because uh, you reminded me of a decision also that my mother had to make. Um, and I've never shared this publicly, but uh, I'm, I'm going to. Uh, my my mum was carrying me, and her father, her sorry, uh, my brother who passed away just 20 days before I was born. Um, and during the pregnancy, my my mum was traveling around the world with my dad, looking for a cure for my brother. And she went through that questioning on whether or not she should continue with me. Um, alhamdulillah. So she went through it and alhamdulillah, ya Rabb, and I ask Allah for me to be a reason for her to be in paradise. Um, but it's, a, it's difficult, you know, it's a big, big decision on a, on a mom to, to continue with a pregnancy. Um, despite all the challenges um, and all the fear of the future fear of financial insecurity of you know medical challenges as i said my my brother passed away from a medical disease and her fear was that the same thing is going to happen to me um so alhamdulillah it is it is difficult but i i believe there's barak and i i agree with what you're saying uh, dr omar that you know, Islam draws the line at 120 days, and I'm glad it does because ultimately there there is wisdom in what Allah chooses for us. Alhamdulillah. May Allah make your brother a shafir for your mother. May Allah make you a salah jariyah for your mother. Allahumma ameen. Ameen. And subhanAllah, what you mentioned of uncertainty here. What did, what was Maryam alayhi salam's fear? Ya laytani mittu qabla hadha wa kuntu nasiyan mansiyah. I wish I would die. I would have died before this and been completely forgotten. And that the boy that she gave birth to extended her name uh, to every part of the world. And the boy that she gave birth to has yet to die. Isa uh, salam. Allah has wisdom that is that is far greater than what we can encompass. And again, if you don't look, if 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 we don't draw from, if we let those those stories um, become just mere stories of the past. And we can't draw the immense beauty from them uh, when we go through difficult moments in our own lives. Then what's the point of it? That's not why the Quran was given to us. That's not why these qasas, these stories were given to us. They were given to us for a reason. And I, I see time and time again, the story of Asiya alayhi salam, the story of Maryam alayhi salam, the story of Yusuf alayhi salam. And of course, above all, the story of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. These are the stories that give us life and that give us um, direction and clarity when we reach these junctures in our lives where we don't really understand what do we do now? Where do we go from here? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, look where they went from there and you'll find where you should go from here and you'll find you'll find immense beauty and, and profound wisdom in what is to come. So may Allah make that the case for, uh, for, for all of us and all of our trials and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help all of those Amen. parents Amen. that are 
uh, in that difficult situation right now. Jazakallah oh, yeah. um, we, we need to cover the politics, Dr. Omar, Sister Hana. Um, I feel so bad to jump into politics. It's like I know, but you're the one who brought it. You you mentioned pastoral politics, so I'm gonna just you know hold you to account. Um, and I I think we need to shift gears to the politics now because it's been in the news. The conversation about abortion has a political element that we haven't really explored so far. Uh, the topic's all over the news because it was leaked that the U.S. Supreme Court was considering overturning the Roe versus Wade. Uh, a 1973 court, uh, uh, sorry, a 1973 court ruling that decided abortion was a right protected by the U.S. Constitution. This gave women the ability to terminate a pregnancy without excessive government restrictions. And if the Supreme Court today were to rule on the case, abortion could be immediately and entirely outlawed in about 26 states. And in in the U.S. The debate boils down to two sides, being what is called pro-life, which wants more government restrictions on abortion, or being pro-choice, the side that wants fewer government restrictions. And there are, of course, extremes on both sides. Some want to ban abortions entirely, and some want no restrictions at all. Uh, Based on our conversation today, it's clear to me that Islam is very nuanced when it comes to abortion, Uh, but which side as Muslims, should we be supporting in this debate? Are we pro-life or are we pro-choice? So I would, I would say again, and this is why I love the article that was written by Dr. Salman, uh, the problem of narrow conceptualization. Uh, we always have to start from the point of Islam, not try to uh, box Islam into a, a, vero, a very narrow conceptualization. I think that it's important for us to say that as Muslims, obviously, we have a very unique view on abortion. Uh, and it's one that resonates with the fitrah of people. It resonates with the, the natural disposition of people, subhanAllah. It's one that, that makes sense for a lot of people. And you mentioned that there are extremes. I would argue that uh, you know most Americans, even by data, by the way, are not absolutist on the issue. So as Muslims, I would, you know, if we were to just take it at the abortion at surface level, we'd say, well, obviously, you know, Muslims would start from a juncture of pro-life, right? And things of that sort, and then have the exceptions of when there is a choice to terminate a pregnancy. But the thing is, is that when you say pro-life, there is a whole lot of political nefariousness to unpack there. And when you say pro-choice, there's there's a whole lot of philosophical underpinning to unpack there. And both of them are in complete contradiction with us as Muslims, complete contradiction. And so what I would say is it's important for us to speak from our unique uh, position. And not that the majority dictates where we stand, but subhanAllah, where we stand actually resonates with a great number of Americans because it just makes sense. Allah has given us something that is fitri in its nature, that's natural in its nature. So for example, the majority of Americans, the majority of Americans favor uh, late term abortion restrictions. That's the majority of the country, right? 70% of the country. But just like everything else in, in our country, we're forced into uh, you know, taking a side, choose a side. As Muslims, we come with what we come with. We come with you know, something that is divinely based. And we speak to the fitrah of people. And this is the fitrah of people. And so I'd say that, again, Let's get away from the narrow conceptualizations. Let's not water down our fiqh. We talk about what our fiqh is, but then let's also talk about social responsibility. Let's also talk about the quality of life of the mother. Let's also talk about what it means to be pro-life in in the ultimate sense and not see ourselves as being ultimate owners of our our bodies and of our lives, but as part of an amana, a trust from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Let's bring all of those dimensions in. So the political nefariousness, look, I'm in Texas. there's a reason why people are deeply suspicious of many in the pro-life camp, right? Like, you know, when they talk about school shootings and they talk about the, uh, the atrocious things that happen to children at the border and mass incarceration, things that still continue under the Biden administration, by the way, uh, you know, and, and they still talk about, you know, being pro-life. It's like, well, wait a minute, you only care for the unborn, but you seem to not care for the born if they're born with a different color uh, th- than yours. There's a reason why people are deeply suspicious of some in that camp. 
But I would take very seriously, for example, and I'd find a lot to align with, uh, the Catholics that work at the border <laughs> of the United States and that care for those children and try to take them out of these uh, the, these horrific conditions and also are pro-life, even if their conception of being pro-life is stricter than the Islamic conception, because as I said, the stable life and uh, versus the potential life and the uh, the point of life being different. I would find so much more to resonate uh, with that person that that cares about people as a whole and that demonstrates with a track record this care for the mother, this care for the child, this care for people of all races and backgrounds. I would say that's something that resonates with my with my fitra and, and that I find my deen very close to. So we cannot take on the baggage of some of the political suspicion and inconsistency, nor can we take on the baggage of some of the philosophical undertaking uh, underpinnings uh, on the other side. We are an amana from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and everything that Allah gives us is an amana, a trust from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and every person uh, is part of our amana when we are able to care for them and take care of them. And so we should be talking about not putting this life in competition with this life, but instead improving the quality of life, improving social responsibility, uh, doing away with some of the root causes of unwanted pregnancy, and then people in poverty paying the ultimate prices and being put alone into these difficult situations, taking care of the mother, trying to find ways to care for the child. This should be the Islamic intervention into all of this. Rahmatan lil'alameen. That should be the, you know, being a mercy to the world. That should be the Islamic intervention in this. Not inheriting uh, the baggage that comes with uh, the various camps uh, that exist in our uh, very broken American politics today. So, Sister Hannah, would you like to add anything to kind of this, uh, uh, this debate of boxing ourselves into one of the two camps? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm coming from the outside here, as are you, I think, Muhammad, as well. You know, we're not from the US. And so when I look in on this debate and I see people trying to squash Islam into either the pro-life or the pro-choice boxes, it seems to me that they end up doing two things. The first is that they simplify the current debate in the US, which is fundamentally political and in a way that is quite unique to the US political system as well, I'd say. And secondly, it reduces Islam's nuance on abortion, as you said, but also Islam's nuance on how more generally we reconcile conflicting moral and political concerns, particularly as Muslim minorities. And this is really frustrating because I think that it's really important for us as Muslim communities in the West to have political literacy and to be able to untangle the various layers of this issue as it's manifesting in the mainstream. And when, you know, although this is a sensitive topic, we can't afford to really react defensively about this and let it become another weapon in the culture war that is unfortunately seeping into the, into the Muslim communities in, in the West as well. The way I see it, the pro-life and the pro-choice camps are actually posing two more specific questions for the Muslim community directly and in particular. The, pro, the, pro choice, the pro-life side asks, should Muslims support the position that upholds the sanctity of life, that obviously Islam does ordain, as we've said, but it doesn't fully represent our values and it would be harmful to people, including Muslims, by preventing abortions that Islam could allow or by making unsafe abortions a norm in society. That's the pro-life side. The pro-choice side is asking Muslims, should you support the position that minimizes government intervention in our lives and so maximizes our ability to practice our faith individually on this issue, but also on other social issues? So none of these questions are actually about the fiqh of abortion. These questions are about the, re the relationship between politics and religion. Uh, the, relation, the priorities of Muslim minorities in the West and the future of religious freedom in, in liberal societies. So it's really not about trying to label them as Islam is pro-choice, Islam is pro-life of this particular abortion ruling. And I think rather than fixating on the issue of this ruling, which is one that also, you know, the general public at this moment in time does not have control over the actual result, I think it's more important that we think about the narratives that make people take a certain position. 
Because if someone's opinion on this is influenced by a political narrative, it's not necessarily as problematic and definitely not as bad as somebody taking a moral position on that issue. Somebody thinking that the, the government should not be involved in, in personal decisions um, made with respect to fertility and, and marriage and, and, and social issues is not the same as thinking that abortion is acceptable or that women have sovereign rights over their bodies to, to, do, to do however they please. So being conscious of the political element in this conversation does not mean that our moral stance as Muslims need to change. In fact, when we acknowledge that there is a political dimension to this debate, then we're actually more effectively able to tackle the moral arguments that are being used to drag people into this conversation. Because many people on both sides are making this an issue of values. I mean, the very names of, of both camps, you know, you have pro-choice pro on one side, pro-freedom of choice, you know, fe uh, female agency, empowerment, and then you have pro-life on the other side, you know, the sanctity of life. These are values. And I think we do have to be conscious of that because I have also spoken to several Muslim women who have perhaps started to feel more affinity for the pro-choice side because they've been exposed to a lot of value-laden propaganda from perhaps the pro-choice side who, you know, try and demonise motherhood and spread negative narratives about pregnancy and show that this is not something that anything that, that any woman should be forced into doing. Everyone should have a choice as to whether they enter into this or not. So it's when we see arguments like that that we need to step in and start educating people on the values of parenthood, uh, the values of family, and inform them of the wisdom of the Islamic stance on abortion and indeed the fiqh, as we've been explaining, as, as Sheikh Omar has been explaining thus far. But really, I find that this whole conversation is actually a test of our judgment as Muslims. We need to be the ones who are able to identify that this part of the conversation is about deeper political issues. And this part of the conversation is about our values on abortion. And we need to have both of those conversations, but we can't conflate them. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate that, actually, because it's very easy to, to box ourselves in. Um, and when we limit ourselves to kind of the headlines on billboards, um, you know, they are generally talk about values, um, but there is a lot of nuances, a lot of baggage with, with each side. Um, so as a Muslim then, Sister Hannah, how do I interact with these slogans? And how do I interact with these two camps? What, what should I be adding to, to the conversation? I think that when we see these the, the, these slogans being kind of bandied around, whether it's on social media or, you know, obviously for people living in the US, they see it on in, you know, their, their news commentary and on daily analysis of this issue. Uh, I think ultimately we need to be clever. And although un we understand, you know, sort of why people on either side are making a certain case, recognize, as we've said, and as Sheikh Omar said, that this is not about picking sides. We need to be able to identify which parts of the conversations stem from a particular belief and address what Islam's belief on that particular issue is. Aside from that, what can Muslims offer to, you know, the abortion debate and what perspective should we be bringing? I mean, ultimately, the Islamic position on this issue is really the only intelligent position because it manages to reconcile the value of human life with certain specific considerations that are related to this world as well. It achieves that balance, which current debates do not, by taking a position that is fundamentally moral, but also merciful, that restricts abortion with the purpose of inspiring strength and reliance on God, not out of punishment, not as a burden. And, you know, as Sheikh Omar said, where people today are struggling between, between having to choose, um, with having to choose between these extremes, it's our responsibility as Muslims to share that with our friends, with our neighbours, with our colleagues, and show them why ultimately we need the guidance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in our lives today. MashaAllah. That, that was a profound, by the way, I think your, your summary at the end of that is, is exactly where I think we should be. Um, I, I would tell people that, you know, we don't want to nuance something or both sides something to where we have no moral intervention whatsoever. I think mm -hmm. that fundamentally moral, but also merciful. I am concerned with the unborn, and I am concerned with the born. I am concerned with late-term abortions. I am concerned with children that are born into this world and mothers that don't have proper health care and people in poverty that have compounded uh, problems. 
and um, who, whose lives are, are turned into political footballs. I'm concerned with all of that. And if Islam, when there are two issue, you know, two sides of a very polarizing issue, if Islam agrees with 80% on one side and 20% on the other side, uh, we should still be speaking with Islam. Uh, not say, yeah, you're right and you're right. No, no, or you're wrong and you're wrong. No, no, what we have is actually a very intelligent intervention that's both moral and merciful. I love that I might go update uh, my article uh, with those two words because I think that it's, it says exactly what we need to be saying with the Nahitana. And uh, I think it resonates with people's fitra. Uh, look, this is, it, it's it's heartbreaking, subhanAllah, to see Muslims fall into this stuff and to to start using the same rhetoric as as others uh, on the side and depart from the the ethics and, and the words and, and the framings of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. We have concerns as Muslims with everything that's happening in society around us, especially where there's ta'addi, where there's, where there's uh, wrongdoing, transgression, whether that transgression is against the unborn life or the born uh, life, the mother or whatever it may be on the basis of, of, of uh, you know, race or whatever it may be. We have concerns as Muslims uh, that, that drive us. And the fiqhi details of 40 versus 120 and you know what are the reasons here? That's not going to change any of that. I think that if you, if you think about our collective Muslim voice, it's an intelligent overall position, fundamentally moral, uh, fundamentally merciful, both to the mother and to the child. And we pray that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala allows us to, uh, to to assert that uh, that wasatiyah, that balance that is sorely missed on this issue and on all other issues as well. Dr. Amar, Sister Hannah, on that note, uh, I'd like to wrap up this conversation on abortion with one final question. Normally, we ask a question on behalf of my nine-year-old niece, but uh, I don't think it's appropriate that she asks this particular question because that'll be a problem and a reflection of me. Uh, let's just say my 13-year-old niece comes to you and asks the question on what Islam's position on abortion is. Uh, and if it's a fair position, what is your response? I'd send them to the article. A 13 year old, she can, <laughs> she can go read the article and <laughs> say, read the conclusion of the article. Uh, you know, I, 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 the last paragraph uh, in that article, that's also at the, at the end of the infographic. Yeah, we can send the nine year old and the 13 year old to the infographic uh, as well. But on a serious note, uh, what you're mentioning here, is that as Muslims, we seek to protect the life of the mother and the life of the child. And if something happens to where the mother's life is at threat or the child's life is at threat or some excruciating circumstance, then sometimes this is permitted, but it's certainly not ideal. And we trust Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with his wisdom and with his plan as a whole. And we ask Allah to allow us to act in accordance with our best potential within that plan. Was your 13-year-old satisfied? Almost. Um, she's waiting for Sister Hannah's uh, response. <laughs> um, well, I think I would say that in Islam, life is sacred. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who gives life and he's the one who takes life. But there are certain exceptions where because Islam understands the nuance of human life. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is our creator knows the tests and the trials that people go through. And so in some limited circumstances, abortion may be permitted, but for full details, people need to consult a scholar and or read Sheikh Omar's article or look at the infographic. Sister Hannah, Dr. Omar, Jazakumullah khair. It's a very, very sensitive topic. It's a timely topic and I appreciate your time in prepping for this episode and, and sharing with us your uh, your insights and your wisdoms. Um, we are going to change gears now even further and move to the rapid fire section of Double Take. Uh, we're going to be a little bit quicker because we went over time on the episode. So you only have, instead of 10 seconds, three seconds to answer each question. I'll start with you, Dr. Omar, because you're a, you're a pro at this. You've been on Double Take before. What's the last book that you were reading? The Quran. <laughs> You asked ask me for you asked me. <laughs> so I'll say I'll say actually I'll, I'll actually it. say no no Sayyidul Khatir Ibn al Jawzi rahimahullah ta'ala. The last ten nights of Ramadan we were doing uh Sayyidul Khatir by Ibn al Jawzi rahimahullah ta'ala, some of his reflections, and I've still been enjoying reading it ever since Ramadan, even though we passed the last ten nights. Amazing. Sister Hana. Um, oh gosh, this is going to sound very um nerdy. 
but I was reading um, Restating Orientalism by uh, Professor Wail Halaq. Actually, I was reading that, but I was also reading um, Sherlock Holmes. Uh, I was in Medina recently and uh, I saw a copy of Sherlock Holmes on sale and um, I thought I'd, I'd get it to read up to Eid. So, yeah, both of those. Uh, Sister Hannah, you're in um, UK. You're in the UK, so I'm gonna ask you this question: What's the strangest thing you've eaten? Uh, I am extremely unadventurous when it comes to food, but I also sense the bias here that food in the UK is strange, which I would push back against. Um, we have a lot of great food, but I guess some of the things that are a bit crazier I haven't touched. Um, I think the probably the strangest thing is unfortunately not British. Uh, I studied Chinese for many years and uh, my teacher once brought in uh, Chinese mooncake. I think it was for, during the Mid Autumn Festival or something. And this mooncake happened to be, I think it was a particular variety, but it was also slightly undercooked. And so Chinese mooncakes, they have a egg yolk in the center. Unfortunately, this was not cooked well. And so it ended up being a raw egg in the center of this cake. And so it was a little bit difficult to stomach and not something I'd try again. Um, I'd probably put that as the strangest. Thank you. Sheikh Amar, name one life hack that's helped you maximize your time and organize your life in the last year. One life hack in the last year. So I'll tell you one that I've been trying and I'm still trying to master it. All right. Are you ready for this? You got to remember the term. I remember I learned this term. Have you ever heard of a nappuccino? No. Oh, to have a coffee just before you sleep? Exactly. So you And then wake a, up you, 10 minutes you, later ex fully exactly, alert. Exactly, exactly. I'm oh, still man. trying to master it. I've, the times that it's worked are amazing. So you drink your coffee and you sleep right away before the caffeine can hit and then you wake up 20 minutes later and you feel absolutely amazing. So it's called a nappuccino. Try it out. Story, and if it works, story you're of my life. If it doesn't work, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it does work. I can, uh, I'm, I'm testing it to it. Sister Hannah, would you rather fight an orangutan with a sword once a year or fight a chicken every time you get in your car? Just before you answer that, yeah. I just want a, a shout out to Tariq who wrote these questions. Wow. Thank you, Tariq. Okay, this makes a little bit more sense now that I hear it's coming from Tariq. <laughs> but um, okay, was the second one the chicken? To fight, uh, you can fight a chicken every okay. time you get in your car. Right. Um, yeah, I'm relatively risk averse. So I think there's less chance of sustaining major injuries fighting a chicken, even if it's every time you get in your car. So, And you'd become very routine after a while, I think. You'd, you'd figure out the chicken's weak spots. Um, I'm going with the chicken. Thank you. Uh, By the Dr. Way, just, Omar, can, I, can I say yeah. before you say it, Tariq sure. did not write any of my dad jokes in Quran 30 for 30. Those were all me. <laughs> I had no one to write those for me. So I just wanted to say I don't want to take credit for uh, that's, uh, funny. that's funny. Okay, fine. Well, you can take them. Dr. Omar, uh, you do a lot of traveling. Name one place that you'd love to visit this coming year. And why is it Sydney? <laughs> you know what? SubhanAllah. <laughs> so, so, so in reality, uh, Australia, uh, Sheikh Bilal uh, Asad. Hafizahullah Ta'ala, I absolutely love him and adore him. And I want to uh, meet him, inshallah Ta'ala, in person. We we communicate over the phone, and he's someone who, if, you know, some of you may have heard his, his beautiful lectures, uh, Sheikh Bilal. And I know that he's also, um, you know, he, he was tested uh, quite severely uh, prior to COVID uh, with the loss of a son, uh, his brother. May Allah have mercy on them and make his, his son a Shafi'ah for him and for his. Uh, for his wife, Allahumma Ameen. That was deep, deep, deep love and connection for him, you know, with him, subhanAllah. So I told him when COVID started, we were messaging on WhatsApp. I said, Sheikh Bilal, I'm coming, man. I'm coming to Australia, inshallah, as soon as things open up. So I owe him a visit uh, to Australia. And of course, lots of uh, ahbab, lots of beloved people there. MashaAllah, uh, you know, the brothers and sisters there at One Path, all the mashayikh that are there in Australia. Uh, I would love to see them. So inshallah soon, uh, Australia. But um, prior to that, this year, more realistically, uh, Nigeria, inshallah ta'ala. Inshallah, ya Rabb. Um, my last question to Sister Hana. Mm -hmm. You're in an elevator with a Muslim woman who doesn't consume much Islamic content. What's your 30-second pitch for the Qarawiyin project? 
Um, so I would say the Qadarin project is, is our tagline, which is an initiative aimed at reviving Islamic discourse amongst Muslim women. Uh, on our website, we share articles written by Muslim women from all over the world who want to analyze modern challenges from an Islamic perspective. We also have a podcast and we host uh, local and online events. And as an organization, I think, you know, we're passionate about making a space where Muslim women can learn from one another, connect to our religion and contribute to solving some of the big problems of our time through knowledge production. And we're always looking for sisters to get involved. So please do visit our website and get in touch with us. Dr. Omar, Sister Hannah, Jazakumullah khair for your time. Um, you can read Dr. Omar's article, Islam and the Abortion Debate at yaqeeninstitute.org. Until next time, see you inshallah and barakallah fikum.